CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Hip hop takes the stand in the new documentary As We Speak: Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary As We Speak: Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got a lot to get to on this latest episode. It's episode number one of the week. We'll have another one for you a little bit later as Penn State making that transition almost from winter workouts to spring ball. They're in week three of four of those winter workouts. And the spring ball, of course, follows spring break. Uh, before we get to a lot on what we experienced inside the Lash Building on Saturday when media were invited in uh, to witness a great event, we'll talk about Thon and the impact that the football program has on it and the impact that Thon has on the football program uh, with Mark Brennan, with Daniel Gallon. A little bit later in this episode, we also have some observations and feedback from what we saw, what we heard in Penn State's football facilities. Uh, had some conversations with Penn State veterans about how the team is progressing now seven weeks removed from the Rose Bowl and less than a month away from the start of spring ball as the roster is transitioning, the staff has made some changes, and we've got some things to look at with Mark and Daniel, along with some Penn State basketball conversation. The Nittany Lions now riding a two-game win streak. Jalen Pickett has gone bonkers trying to make this run, uh, get to get back on the bubble, maybe to break through into the tournament. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later here on this show. But first things first, we bring in a recent Nittany Lion, a very familiar one for fans out there, Nick Tarburton onto the Lions 24-7 podcast. Nick, great to see you. Good to hear from you, and thanks for giving us some time. Yes, sir. Yeah, really appreciate you having me on. Your recruiting class, that 2018 class, was the first recruiting class I covered ever in, in dealing with Penn State football. So you guys were really the first freshman class I saw make that transition. And now you're gone. PJ's gone. There, there's, you know, everyone's kind of moved on from the program. I guess, yep. how do you feel? I mean, you're not in Lash right now. You're not going through the winter workouts early in the morning. I think there's probably some positives to take from that. But yeah. how does it, you know, feel? Is it all kind of sinking in? Yeah. Um, you know, first off, um, you know, I was just – I'm just so blessed and thankful to be able to play, um, you know, at a school like Penn State, um, you know, for the past five years of my life. Um, been nothing short of amazing. Um, and, you know, now taking this uh, next step forward, um, you know, it's also been, uh, been great, you know, just, uh, taking these next, uh, you know, about, I think it's about two months or so, just full, full on hard training, um, just preparing for pro day. So, you know, all that's been good. Uh, we, we talked a little bit before we started recording, you're having some dialogue with guys who are still in the building, going through those winter workouts. Um, you know, they just hit the halfway point at the end of last week. They're over the hump in that regard. What do you remember about going through these mornings in February into early March before you get the spring ball? Yeah, no, we, uh, you know, I think the best way to kind of put it is, uh, is shared suffrage, basically. Um, you know, as brutal as that sounds, that's what it is. Um, you know, winter workouts are meant to, 
you know, break you down mentally, uh, physically, um, and just kind of, kind of tear you apart. But, you know, with, uh, with your brothers by your side, um, you know, it just kind of makes, you know, yourself and also your team just so much stronger. Um, and it's a tough, it's a tough process, but it's one that, uh, you know, every team needs to go through and, you know, I'm sure they're doing just fine up there. And I want to talk about your journey, but just to get some perspective on where Penn State is right now, you know, Devon Ailes was talking to us on Saturday and was like, we all understand there needs to be new leaders. We lost six captains. We lost a bunch of guys like yourself who have been part of that backbone in the locker room. How yeah. important is this stretch to cultivate who those new leaders are to kind of separate who's ready to lead from maybe who's not quite there yet? Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, this time of the year is extremely important to kind of, you know, not only uh, vocally kind of present as a leader, but also I think, um, you know, just through your actions and, you know, through your your work ethic and your preparation um, just throughout this this process, I think, especially when it workouts, you know, guys love to see, um, you know, dudes being vocal, but, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that I love to see, you know, some guy that's just totally working, you know, extremely hard, sticking out, you know, in that aspect. So I think both both aspects, um, you know, throughout winter workouts, leaders are going to definitely rise. Now, Nick, uh, you spent five years, like you said, on this campus. And, and let's go all the way back to the beginning of that journey. You were one of those January enrollees. You guys had a very celebrated 2018 recruiting class. And you initially land in a linebacker's room that at the time features Micah Parsons, who was playing defensive end at the high school level, and Jesse Lucetta, who you ultimately, yep. ultimately ended up playing defensive end with at the end of your careers. Yep. Can you kind of look back at that early portion when you, Micah, and Jesse are in the linebacker room together? I don't know if you lasted longer than just two or three weeks before they made that move up yeah. to the defensive front, but talk us through that first semester with those guys. Yeah, no, it was it was awesome, man. Uh, it was a you know a new transition and in, uh, in all of our lives, and we're kind of all taking it on together. Um, you know, I think that that bond will always have uh, just kind of you know going in early. Not a whole lot of guys can say that they've done that, but um, you know it was cool. It was it was special. You know, you had guys in there like Cam Brown and Jan Johnson on top of you know some of the guys you just mentioned, some older dudes that you just kind of you know really learn from and. Uh, just kind of soak it all in at a, at a young age like that. But it was, uh, it was special. I, you know, I always remember it. And, and you, know, you made that transition quickly to, to the defensive front. It was something that we discussed during your recruiting process. And I know you were open to the possibility and you just wanted to be kind of a, an impact player, however you could at Penn State. What's yep. it like when you show up? Because there's freshmen that we're eyeing up right now, guys who graduated early from high school. We're wondering, are they going to stay at that position? What was that process like for you in that first semester? Yeah, um, I think just being open, um, you know, because I was recruited as both a linebacker and defensive end. Wasn't really sure, you know, when or if it would happen, uh, the transition. But I think the biggest thing and some advice that, you know, I'll give and kind of what I've gone through is just, you know, trust the coaches, trust your, you know, trust Coach Franklin, you know, trust your position coaches. They know what's best for you. Um, you know, they want to get you on the field as quick as uh, as possible, too. And, you know, just, uh, just doing everything you can to, you know, kind of make that that transition easier is, is the most important thing. So I just touched on the start of your career. We're going to get to a lot about the end of your career, being a starter in the Rose Bowl and, and, and all the success you had late. But in between that, there were some tough times for you, Nick. And, and often we weren't able to communicate with you. You weren't often on the field. Um, now that you've had a chance to kind of look back and reflect, I'd imagine, and I know you're always moving forward from those days, but what did you go through? I'm not asking for specifics about the injury, but mentally – physically, how much of a toll did that take before you were able to resurface and make an impact on the field with Penn State? 
Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, the, the mind, the, you know, the first word that kind of comes to mind that I, you know, kind of hold dearly to me is adversity. Um, I love it. You know, I think I've uh, kind of been built up on that, you know, just from a young age, I've gone through, you know, not necessarily any injuries or from that aspect, but just life, you know, just dealing with life and, uh, you know, kind of understanding how you're going to, you know, deal with adversity when it knocks on your door. Um, you know, there's some guys that just kind of, you know, cower and kind of hide. And then there's guys that, you know, kind of, you know, want to want to face it head on and attack it. Um, and that's kind of the the route that I took. You know, luckily for me, um, you know, the, the injuries at hand were nothing, you know, overly serious. You know, I never had any, you know, big time procedures and surgery. Like it wasn't any of that. It was just more of, you know, kind of just understanding my body, um, you know, knowing how to really take care of my body, I guess, from that aspect. And just, uh, you know, I think working with, um, you know, the strength staff, the trainers and kind of formulating a plan for me, um, you know, what became important for me was prehab, you know, rehab, um, you know, after, you know, we're doing different stuff after practice, after games, you know, just getting right. Um, and I think just, just the timing aspect of, you know, just, I had my, I needed my body to heal and, you know, and at Penn state, man, we're competing at that, you know, top level every single day. And, you know, me as a younger guy was like, man, I need to, you know, I need to go, I need to go. When at times, you know, I, there was times when I needed to just, you know, just relax, let my body recover, let it heal. But, you know, luckily, uh, luckily COVID, you know, for me was, was a bit of a blessing because I was able to get that necessary recovery. And, uh, you know, ultimately about to be able to play and, you know, live out my dreams at Penn State. Did you ever have serious doubts, not just maybe some thoughts, but ever like a, a stretch of serious doubt that you would be able to contribute consistently as a college football player? Yeah, I would say, you know, one one night specifically kind of triggers, um, you know, that question was, you know, it was me and my parents kind of on a phone call. I remember, you know, I'm. I'm hanging out at my house, man, and just kind of, you know, having a rough day, having a rough go and kind of, you know, understanding, you know, that, you know, this is, I'm in a tough spot right now. You know, it's hard, um, kind of struggling going through it. And, you know, with both, both sides, my parents were kind of giving me feedback and I was kind of taking it all in and understanding it. But, you know, kind of like I said before, um, you know, adversity is something that I kind of like, I just love to attack it, man. That's something that I'm, you know, this is no sob story in any way. This is, this is me just, you know, facing adversity head on and just attacking it and, uh, you know, being better from it. Now, if I recall correctly, you and your 2018 classmate, Juice Scruggs, spent some significant time together in the training room, watching your teammates go full force, trying to get there yourselves. What can you take us behind those days when, when Juice is working his way back from just a, a very violent auto accident? I'm not sure how many people grasp just how serious of a situation that was to the point where he is a two-time starting center, a guy who's going to the NFL Combine and and played more snaps than anyone on this football team the last couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's crazy, man. And to see, you know, to see where Juice went and you know, kind of what he uh, what he had to go through, man, it, it, it's it's special. He's a he's a guy that I hold you know dearly to my heart. Um, he's a brother of mine, um, and he's uh, you know he's done just an unbelievable job. Um, you know, just getting to where he is now. And it's it's so cool to see. Now you, I think it was Juice, Brenton, y'all let everybody know, which we appreciated that you were going to be moving forward from the program after the Rose Bowl, but you did it before the game. And, and that's something that was a little outside the box. We talked to you about that in Pasadena, uh, but I want to kind of bring it to our listeners. Why do you think it trended that way for this group of seniors? You knew your mind was made up on 2023, yet you stuck around, 
put in that month of work and obviously have the opportunity to go out and play in one of the bigger football games each year. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, the, the choice kind of came to me, um, you know, more or less just the coaches kind of wondering where, I, where I was kind of going to go with this, this happened. I want to say there was probably two more games than the, than the bowl game. Um, and, you know, going into it, um, you know, I didn't want to kind of say either, either way, didn't want to lean either way, just because, you know, I knew I had three more games, with my brothers either way. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to let that, that choice kind of impact, you know, the team or any, you know, or my, or my teammates or anything like that. But just, I think why it kind of played out how it did is like, I knew, I knew going in kind of what, what my plan was. And at that point, you know, I felt like it was necessary just to, you know, kind of get it off my plate, get it off my chest before I go into this, you know, the, like I said, the biggest game I've ever played in so far, um, you know, to this day, you know, just to kind of get that off my plate, but also to, you know, kind of like, like you said, let, um, you know, y'all know, but, you know, let my teammates and my coaches know that, you know, I'll be moving on after this game, but I'm going to give you, you know, everything I got, um, you know, for my last game. Well, we appreciate it because we didn't have to ask you about it. We weren't pestering you guys about it. We could ask other questions. We could focus on football. So I think that's what, from my media yeah. perspective, we we loved about it. But, Nick, uh, you guys went and you completed the task. You had a 14-point win over a very talented Utah squad, a top-10 matchup. And, and obviously it sets the stage for what's ahead for Penn State. But what was that night like? You knowing it's the last time in a Nittany Lions uniform, knowing that a lot of eyes in the college football universe are on Penn State versus Utah, and the way you all delivered – after what a month of waiting for the moment and waiting for yeah. the chance. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, that night was just uh special. And I think it just capped off a you know, a special season with a with a special group of guys um that I was just honored to be around. Um, you know, like I said, I keep going back to this, but you know, every guy in that locker room, you know, every every coach, every every staff member, you know, I, I hold near and dear to my heart. Like it it's everything to me. Um, and the, to be able to kind of finish what we started in that way, um, you know, is something I'm always you know, going to be forever grateful for. It was it was a special night. It was awesome. It was the last game for P.J. Mustafer as well. You guys went through a lot. He had his own recovery process. What did he mean to you? What did P.J. mean to Penn State during his five years there? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he's one of my best friends. Um, you know, I looked at look at look at him as, you know, kind of like a rock, man. He's He's a guy that's just, he's steady. He's always been there for me, um, you know, from day one, you know, from the first time I met him recruiting, you know, like he's always there. He's funny, man. He's, you know, can always put a smile on your face. He's such a great guy, um, let alone, you know, a great football player. He's also just so much more than that. Um, yeah. And, you know, PJ is just, he's awesome, man. He's one of my best friends and, you know, I can't say more about him. He's, he's awesome. I mentioned Devon earlier we, and, and speaking with him last Saturday, he talked about it. It's a little strange not having PJ around, having that presence. But in that defensive line room, he, he seems like someone who can maybe take on some of that presence, has that kind of a personality. He played with PJ in high school. Uh, can you kind of give us the lowdown, your sense of where this defensive line room is from a personality perspective, maybe some of those rising leaders? Because I'm assuming he's one of them. Are there any others? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, I think he comes to mind. Um, I think a guy like Adisa Isaac comes to mind, um, Chop Robinson, um, Smith Vilbert, you know, kind of that core right there I think is is pretty solid. Um, and you got a lot of good young guys, man. I mean, the, this D-line room is, is special, um, and I think they can do a lot of great things. I think leadership-wise, I think they'll be, I think they'll be solid. Um, 
those guys I mentioned, but I think just that whole entire room in general, um, you know, they have their head on straight, uh, you know, coach Scott, you know, Dion, they're, they're doing great things there. And I'm excited for those boys. We'll get the focus back on you in a second, but how about the scouting report on a couple of young guys? Because you mentioned them, Zane Durant, Denied Dennis Sutton. They both burned their red shirt, but because of the health you had on the defensive line, because of the, the bodies you had up there and the experience, they didn't have to have too much of a task. What yeah. do you think about the potential for year two for each of those guys? Yeah, I think the sky's the limit. Um, I think you've kind of seen what uh, you know both those guys can do. I think they're you know, both in their aspects, I think they're freakishly athletic, um, can do some pretty, pretty amazing things. And I think, uh, you know, they're smart dudes to begin with because they wouldn't be playing, um, you know, as a freshman, you know, if they didn't know the plays and weren't, you know, schematically correct all the time. But I think even another year um, under their belt with, you know, all that similar um, just wording and, you know, just technique and stuff like that, I think it's just going to, you know, help them that much more and propel them into next year. How fulfilling was the finish of your career? We already discussed those adverse moments and the way you attacked them, but 13 starts in 13 games. Uh, you, you split that starting role last year with Jesse Lucchetta, uh, ultimately end up with a career high and, and tackles for loss and sacks in your final season. What did it mean to you to be able to finish on your own terms and standing upright and being productive? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's a, you know, it's not about me to be honest with you. It's a credit to, you know, all my teammates and all my coaches that, you know, trusted me and, you know, let me to, you know, kind of take that role. Um, and I'm, you know, just forever thankful for it. You know, I'm a guy that's, uh, you know, going to work as hard as he possibly can each and every day. Um, and I think that's a credit to that too, but, you know, more than anything, you know, I'm just so thankful to, you know, be able to play um, aside the guys that I played aside and, you know, be able to be coached by, you know, the best in the nation. Um, it was, you know, the best five years of my life and, you know, I'm forever grateful for it. Do you have a, a favorite moment that you'll forever savor that, that you feel like stands above the rest? Maybe it's the Rose Bowl, but if it's not, is, is there a definitive spot right now through your five-year timeline at Penn State where uh, that you feel like is going to stay with you above, above others? I think definitely when that, uh, you know, when that clock kind of buzzed after that Rose Bowl, um, it was pretty special. You know, I think, you know, what better way to, you know, kind of go out than, you know, to win the Rose Bowl, um, you know, my senior season and, you know, with the guys that I did it with um, and the coaches and the staff and everybody, it was it was a special season with a special group of people, um, you know, but also just not only that, I also, you know, would say, um you know, the the times after the locker room, you know, after the big wins um, in the locker room with all those guys and just being able to run out, you know, in Beaver Stadium. I mean, there's there's nothing nothing like running out with, you know, 107, 110 plus thousand fans, you know, screaming. You know, it's it's uh, it's a whirlwind of wind of stuff that, you know, that I you know hold near and dear. And it was it was special, man. It, it was awesome. Now, Nick, you were part of five different Penn State squads. I know every journey is unique. Some of those teams were knocking on the door of college football playoff contention. Some of those teams didn't match expectations. What do you feel about this 2023 group that's just really launching and what they may be able to accomplish? Yeah, I think, you know, again, I think the sky's the limit with these guys. Um, you know, I think we've really made a case for ourselves last year. And now that's just going to propel these guys into, you know, what they're what they got going on this year. Um you know, without a doubt, they got the talent to do it. Um, without a doubt, they got the coaches to coach it. You know, I mean, I think I think these guys can do everything and then some this year. And, you know, I'm excited to kind of, you know, see how everything shakes out for them. 
and the follow-up question that everyone wants to know all the time is, well, what about the new quarterback? It's, it feels like a lot is hinging on on that situation. If it is Drew Aller, we understand that Bo Perbula is going to continue competing and, and, and there's going to be a battle there. But if Drew's the quarterback, can you tell us what you saw from him on the practice field? We got our glimpses. I think we saw him throw about 60 passes against opponents, but you saw him do a lot on the practice field. How much progression did he make from January enrollment to the end of Rose Bowl preparation? Yeah. I think he made a lot, um, you know, not only on the field, but I think, you know, in uh, in other aspects, you know, at least with us, you know, I think he, I think he grew up a lot. I think he's, you know, becoming that, you know, vocal guy that, you know, if you're, even if you're not as a quarterback, you kind of got to be vocal in that aspect. Um, but what also, what I saw from him and, you know, not that kind of on the outskirts, I could tell that, you know, he's a, he's a great kid. I think he's really humble, which I think, is extremely important, um, especially in this day and age with college football and all that's going on. I think staying humble and having a good base um, is important. I think that's something that he has, and I'm excited to you know see what he does, man. It's he's a special player and he's going to do great things. Let's talk about your future. What has the last seven weeks been like? What is the next couple months like before the NFL draft takes place and before you ultimately get to land somewhere and go to work? Yeah, no, it's uh. You've kind of said it right there. It's pretty much just been all work, man. Um, so right now I'm actually uh, back home in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I'm uh, I'm training at a facility kind of right outside um, Philadelphia. So I'm commuting there uh, Monday to Friday, um, 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Just, you know, getting in there and working, man. Um, and it's been it's been awesome. Uh, really happy with, uh, you know, where I'm at and how things are going. Um, but, yeah, just, uh, just like you said, just continuing to – you know, work really hard these next, uh, I think I got about three and a half weeks, four weeks up until pro day coming up here soon. So at Penn state, so, um, you know, up until then just working and then, you know, kind of hoping I do great there and then, you know, see where, see where things fall, um, you know, after this draft and everything. Yeah. We're going to see you at pro day next month. And, and, and of course, several of your teammates are going to be there, but, but several of them will before then make the trip out to Indianapolis to yep. be in the scouting combine. Uh, um, is that a situation where it's bittersweet to see their names on the list and, and your name not on the list? No, no. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously I w I'd love to be there um, with those guys, but, you know, those guys earned every right to be there. And, you know, I couldn't be more, um, you know, happy for those guys. And, you know, you know, I'll be cheering them on hard um, when I think of the next week or so. So definitely. How engaged are you with other other members of this group, this this upcoming draft class as you guys, you know, get at the precipice of jumping into professional football? Yeah. Um, you know, I'd say, I'd say I'd like to be more, um, you know, I think all of us are kind of just grinding hard, um, you know, these next, uh, these next few weeks, especially, but, uh, you know, I've definitely been in contact with some of the guys just, you know, touching base, catching up. Um, you know, you can only do so much just cause you know, the schedules we got are pretty crazy right now, but, um, yeah, I, I can't wait to, you know, catch up with all these guys even more at pro day. And, uh, whatever, wherever city you end up here uh, for the next upcoming season, what are you going to bring there? And, and what's the next phase of your football life going to look like it, as you kind of lay that blueprint? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a football player. Um, wherever you need me, um, I'm going to be there, you know, whether that be defense, whether that be special teams, whatever you need, um, you know, I'm going to give everything I got. I think I'm a guy with, uh, you know, extreme work ethic. Um, you know, he's going to just, you know, bust, bust every single time, just work as extremely hard as possible. Um, you know, I think I'm also a, a you know, a, a good teammate. Um, 
you know, someone that you're going to want in your locker room. Um, just a locker room builder, just going to, you know, be there for others. Um, and just, you know, I'm just here to just give my all. And, you know, I'm so excited, uh, you know, for this next step. Nick, excited for you. It's been uh, really fun following you the last five, six years and uh, knowing what you went through, knowing how you came out the other side of it. Uh, I'm sure you're stronger for it and uh, appreciate your time coming on the podcast with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was awesome. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. Uh, let's shift gears over to our lines 24-7 colleagues now on the heels of a great interview there with Nick Tarburton, who we'll all be uh, following closely at the next level of his football career. But uh, Daniel Gallen and Mark Brennan hop in now. And, fellas, you got a tough act, tough act to follow. I know you caught the last couple of minutes there uh, just once, once again. Um, one of our main conversation pieces early on with Nick was about – how this team can develop something important in these couple months of winter workouts and, and before they actually get back on the practice field. And I wanted to start there with you because Mark, we were back in, in the last building on Saturday. It was, a, it was, you know, an opportunity to talk football, but more importantly, uh, Thon was happening on campus. And when Thon is happening, as I've learned here in the last five, six years, it is such a fabric a part of the fabric of what Penn state is. Yeah, especially when you have kids, right? I mean, you, you start – sorry, well, Now Daniel, it's but, very different. Yeah, yeah I mean, it really, it really hits home. And, uh, you know, Penn State has been doing this uh, Explorers uh, program that they do. Oh, boy. I mean, it goes back to the mid-2000s. And, and it's just – it's a really cool thing. And, you know, th these football players, um, yeah, their, their lives are tough in terms of everything they have to do with schoolwork and the schedule – but the thing that they talk about every single year and, and is the perspective that, that it provides that, yeah, they're, you know, they college football isn't the easiest life, but compared to what these kids go through and their families, it's not just the kids, it's the families. And, you know, the other cool thing, and you guys are starting to see it now is that you start to see some of the same families there year after year after year. Why is that important? Because those kids are still with us you know, who, who were there 15 years ago and they come back a little bit older now, but I mean, that really kind of hits home through all the coaching changes and everything else that's gone on with the players kind of, kind of rolling over every four or five years or three years or two years or whatever it is now to see that is pretty cool. And, you know, the other part of it is when you talk about leadership, you know, the, those are the kind of, uh, 
you see the young guys getting involved with it. So not just the Thon Explorers, which is where the the uh, the Thon families uh, go through Lash Building and get a tour and get to see all the cool stuff, but then having the guys who just arrived participate in the Athlete Hour and go over there. And so that's their first public appearance, mm-hmm. you know, in uniform. And, and what is that telling you? Where are the priorities? The priorities are in the right place, even though we're not allowed to interview them, which is fine. I don't have an issue with that. To have them go over there and their first public appearance is with all these other Penn State athletes, and you, you, they're all intermingling, and then they're all dealing with these kids and their families. That's, that's where you set foundations. That's program building stuff to, to be able to help at that level uh, these kids and their families. Faces were lit up. Uh, it, it was really cool to see. I know we have, a, you can interview them, but there's a photo gallery of all these uh, early enrolled freshmen. Uh, you can see a lot of them smiling. Anthony Donko stole the show, though, with, with his bit with the cheerleading group, uh, by the way. Um, but uh, I just want to say it was the veterans of this group. You know, Keandre Lambert had the, you know, the shark painted on the side of his face, and he was telling me he's been waiting a long time for this day. These guys were in there that morning, grinding, working. Uh, we just heard from Nick Tarburton how difficult these winter workout days are, and it can feel like you know the football season's forever away, and you're going through the gauntlet. But Daniel, what did you kind of take away when you're walking around here? And we're usually in more of a high stakes situation, high pressure situation when reporters and players get together. It's after a big win, after a big loss, or leading up to one or the other. This was a different circumstance. Definitely. I think it lets you see the uh, maybe a little bit of a different side of some of these players. You see them maybe with, you know, from our perspective with their guard down a little bit, um, just interacting on more of a, you know, person to person basis with with these families and with these kids. And it's really cool to see. But, you know, in talking to some of the guys after, uh, you know, when we had our chance to, they talked about how they look forward to doing this every year and that, you know, it's their chance to give back. It's their chance to like I said, engage on that human to human level, you know, with the community um, and, you know, kind of, you know, reach out and, and give back to, you know, these people who probably support them um, as fans. And so I think that it's something that they take really seriously. Um, I think Devon Elise talked about how, you know, you come in and, you know, you have to make it a special day uh, for these kids and for these families. And that's something that, you know, these players really, really want to do. And I think it's something that they really succeed at doing um, based on you know, what we were seeing around the Lash building and what you see in the photo gallery and, and the videos from, from the athlete hour. And we cover football. So obviously we're going to focus on, on the football team and their role, but Thon is a community wide deal. And the result was a record setting fundraising effort over $15 million raised for four diamonds, all that money going to the critical research um, going toward pediatric cancer. And like Mark referenced, I've got a daughter who's, 16 months now. So walking into that room on Saturday was definitely different than doing it before she showed up. Um, so kudos to the players, the staff and, and everybody involved there, but let's do our jobs now. Let's, let's be football analysts and, and talk about what we observed and what we heard from that side of things. And uh, you know, Mark, we got a few team veterans and, and it, you know, Franklin alluded to this a couple weeks ago, they need to find new leadership. This is the time where you do it. I'm imagining the guys that they sent out to us. It's a good indication of where they stand but they lost all six team captains from an 11-win squad. Yeah, but you know the, the thing that I think was positive is that all those captains were still with the team at the end of the year, right? So yep. even when things went sideways, 
uh, during that three-game stretch and they drop two games. You know, you look around the country and you see what happens sometimes in those situations and teams begin to just – some teams begin to mail it in. So I think on the way out the door, that previous group left just – set a great example and no better example than the Rose Bowl, right? I mean, arguably two of to the team's two strongest, if not two of the handful of strongest leaders were the MVPs in, in Sean Clifford and Tig. I mean, so for, for this group to be able to draw from them and see that, listen, you can overcome adversity. You know, I go back to what I was saying at the beginning of last year, and we all knew it was going to happen. We knew at some point adversity was going to strike. And we probably guessed when it was going to strike. And, you know, it didn't take a rocket science scientist to figure out uh, exactly when it would hit. But when it did hit, unlike the previous couple years, they didn't go south. And I think that spoke to the leadership. And I think the fact that, that all of the guys who are going to be looked at as leaders this year were able to learn from that. I think one of the real key differences, though, is that on offense especially, I think they're going to be fine leadership-wise defensively you know you look around that that room uh from guys like curtis jacobs you know you mentioned devon ellies he's been a guy who's been kind of a behind the scenes leader but you know know, just just really involved kaylin king uh you know there are all sorts of leaders on that you know keaton ellis is coming back for another year so there's all sorts of leadership there and i think over on offense, though, you know, they're going to be fine on the offensive line. Olu Fashanu, we had an opportunity to talk to him for the first time, and you see where he's emerging as one of those players. Hunter Norzad's back, Sal Warmly. I'm sure I'm forgetting people. They have all these people. But I think when you look at the skill positions, to me, that's going to be the real key, and especially when you look at quarterback. And mm-hmm. that's going to be, to me, the key during spring practice is not only having Drew Aller step up and solidify what already seems like a stronghold hold on the starting job, but to emerge as that leader, because that's a natural leadership position. So it would have been nice. I wish we would have had an opportunity to to speak to him, but we did get an opportunity earlier to speak to him. So that was, that was definitely cool. But hearing from all the players, they were saying all the right things, uh, but we'll see. I mean, over on offense to me, that's where it's going to be the biggest challenge. I did not get a chance to talk to Keandre. Uh, I know you went over there. Uh, I only talked to Olu who, I mean, he seems like things, it seems like things are really lined up well with this offensive line to be as talented and as deep as they've been in a really long time. But again, the skill positions, I think, is where it's going to come into play. Yeah, I'll address the, the wide receiver spot. Actually, first I'll touch on what you said about Drew Aller, because right before you guys hopped on, Nick Tarburton gave us a pretty good assessment about how Drew grew in year one, specifically from a vocal aspect. And that's what we heard more of from Devon Illies um, just just a, a couple of days ago in this conversation where um, he said he has no concerns at all. And then, of course, he's not going to say anything else to us when we have microphones in his face. But uh, Drew is a guy who he's been he was on this podcast two or three times before he enrolled on campus. I think people heard he can carry himself in a conversation uh, and he's getting better and better with that with more training. But, you know, it's not just about giving high fives as the starting quarterback. I think a lot of people picture that it's about pointing your finger and getting in somebody's face maybe grabbing a face mask and that's the one aspect that i know you could count on with sean clifford for a long time that's his personality you know that's a part of drew aller that we're still going to figure out his teammates are figuring that out the staff is it's going to take us a little while longer until we see some things take place until we see him take some pitfalls and then work his way out of it work the offense out of it Uh, but starting there and then getting over to keandre lambert smith 
This guy is as motivated as they come on this roster right now. Uh, people around the team facility have noticed that he has been around and he's been around a lot. Um, year four now for a guy who came in uh, with Parker Washington. You know, he's he's now gone. Jaden Donton has left the program. Malik Mega was part of that class. Uh, he hasn't you know, worked out that well at receiver to this point, more of a special teams guy. So there's been a gap between Keandre Lambert-Smith and kind of the other wide receivers who we've been talking about. He's the old head in the room. Um, if you're looking for new team captains, he certainly wants to, to maybe circle on that list of possibilities. But something he referenced himself is, He's trying to hold himself to a higher accountability and demand more consistency from himself from a mental perspective. And uh, we talked about his mentality with Taylor Stubblefield over the years. DeAndre has always been transparent about having maybe some issues carrying it day to day um, and not being able to close the door on some moments. He feels like he's in a really good spot there. You look at how he finished the 2022 season. Those last two games, he essentially doubled his season stats on the year as a junior and really was able to salvage something big out of the season, his first 100-yard performance in the Rose Bowl. And I had a story up this week, Daniel and, and Mark, where basically just went through about he's looking to take the next step as a receiver, and, and he's, he does not mind the fact that Malik McLean is entering the situation. He does not mind the fact that Dante Cephas is entering the situation. He is as competitive as they come. It was something I loved about him as a recruit. Um, I think he was a guy that people wondered if he – put an eye toward the transfer portal, maybe at some point during his career. Folks, he has started almost 30 games here for Penn State, and I know he hasn't had that breakout stretch yet. Uh, but I'm telling you, he, he, when you start to put the pieces together, Daniel, and look at what this wide receiver group could be, there is a lot to like about what's in place for him and also how he fits in as being a vocal guy for a new coach in Marcus Hagens. And those two have history. He recruited him on behalf of Virginia. He hosted him down there at that campus. So I think it's important when we're talking about all the young talent there, DeAndre can talk. And I think he can put some guys in their place when he needs to. And that's going to be advantageous for a first-year coach with the staff. I think when you look at the wide receiver room behind Keandre with what Penn State was bringing back, you know, there's a significant drop-off. You know, you know, Keandre's stats this year weren't necessarily, I think he admitted it in November that this wasn't really what he expected in, in year three. Um, but you go down and there's just not a lot of experience and not a lot of proven production uh, that's returning. You know, getting Malik McLean um, and Dante Cephas is a good addition, but I think Keandre Lambert-Smith is in a position to really be sort of the glue of that room uh, moving forward. And that's a that's a big spot to be in, especially when you have you're going to have a first year starting quarterback. Um, you know, there's going to be really high expectations up and down this roster. And so I think how Keandre Lambert Smith steps into that role is going to be you know, really interesting to watch. And I think, you know, he might be someone that is good to look to when you're trying to take the temperature of the team um, and where they're at, because I think that we've seen that, you know, he wears things, you know, pretty emotionally, pretty outwardly. Um, you know, and, and the physical tools have always been there. Um, and we saw it with some of the big plays he made in those last two games of the year. But you know, that mental side is going to be really important. And what he's able to do as a leader stepping into that role, you know, he's watched a lot of good receivers come through and how they've done things. You know, Jahan Dotson you know, working alongside Parker, seeing Mitchell Tinsley last year. Uh, but this is a really big opportunity for him to, to really step up, figure out how to lead this room and really set the tone. And no one else in this 2023 receiver unit uh, owns 20 receptions in a Nittany Lions uniform. Guys have caught passes for other teams, uh, but in terms of what they brought back on this roster, it's, again, a significant gap between Keandre 
and the others. I think everyone was to peg Harrison Wallace in that. I think he has 17 career catches to this point. It's easy to forget that fact, but uh, receiver room in flux. Uh, we'll get to that more. The offensive line room, and Mark just mentioned it, uh, is in a really good spot because you have trouble remembering how many names of guys who have started all these games. And Olu was there, and obviously we swarmed to him. And, and Mark, you were there, and, and you've already addressed a little bit. So I'm going to go back to Daniel because you wrote the story. What stood out to you about Olu? He seems like a man on a mission. Clearly, he has millions of dollars to make as the potential number one offensive lineman in his class. But boy, if it comes together for him as a leader and a player, it's going to be a huge boost for the 2023 Penn State team. I think that by the end of this, by the time this offseason is over, I think people are probably going to be sick of us talking about leadership. Um, but that's where a lot of the conversations really went back to on Saturday, especially in that setting. And I thought that talking to Olu was was really interesting in that respect, where he said that there were times in the past where he wished that he would have stepped up um, and you know told people in his words to stop messing around, um, you know, to go to people in times like that. And he didn't. Um, and that's something that he wants to do differently this year. Um, I think that, you know, in terms of how he's played and how he's worked and how he's gotten to this point, you kind of know that he's leading by example just because of the way that he's been able to really elevate his game. Um, but he really wants to add that vocal side to things. Um, and I think we've talked, you talk about this a lot when it comes to, you know, team sports and especially football is that for some people, that is a really tough adjustment to make. Uh, not everyone is kind of born to be that type of leader. Um, and it seems like Olu isn't necessarily, uh, you know, fitting into that category. So I think it'll be really interesting to see how he kind of steps out of his shell. Um, he seems really confident um, in talking to us. Uh, he said he's he's healthy and ready to go for spring, um, which is is pretty big for this offensive line, um, especially when you talk about continuity on offense. I think that's one thing that I really remember from last spring was James Franklin talking about how Drew Scruggs and Olu Fashionu were the two guys who didn't miss any time last spring. And I think you could make the case that those were their two best offensive linemen for the whole season. So you know, I think that Olu is in a really interesting spot. There's going to be a lot of attention on him at the same time. I think that he's one of these guys that's really equipped to handle that uh, because he probably won't notice it um, if, if you believe him. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be a big year for him. You, know, you talk about all these guys that are going to the combine right now, and he very easily could be there. I did that mock draft roundup for Joey Porter Jr. earlier today. And you kind of think, you know, you look at where the offensive linemen stack up in, in some of those. And, you know, Olu could easily be in the top 10, top five, even top three of some of those. So he's someone that's going to have a lot of attention going into next year. I think he's ready for it. And I think he's built to handle it. So it's going to be, I think, fun to watch him over these next couple of months and over this next year to where this time next year, he's probably getting ready to go to Indianapolis, too. As you mentioned, Daniel, Olu is the first to admit this isn't necessarily a natural thing to him to be a guy who's going to be a commanding leader in a room of, of young men like this. But neither was the, it was the same deal for Juice Scruggs. I mean, he told us last year he didn't he didn't think he'd be equipped to, to be this kind of a guy, a team captain. And sometimes it's it's where your career takes you and where your production takes you. And, and ultimately, it's a lot about where the other guys in the room who are they looking at in adverse moments? And sometimes you're just the guy who has those eyes on you. And that's when you start to realize time to take ownership. Not everybody shows up and says, I can't wait to step up to that spot. Sometimes you're just there and all of a sudden, you know, you've had no other option and, and you need to embrace it. Can Someone I add one else, more point on that, Tyler? Absolutely. L listen, it's one thing for Olu Fashanu 
the one game starter to try to exert himself as a leader. Mm-hmm. It's another thing for Olu Fashinu, the projected top 10 NFL draft pick to be a leader. Do you follow what I'm saying? Oh, when yeah. you're in that room, now you've now you've got the bona fides. All right. Now everybody in that room knows what you did. They've seen what you did to put yourself in that position. Now, does everybody in that room have your talent? No. But you put in the work. And the one thing that we've we've heard about from James Franklin and from Troutwine and from everybody who we've talked to is Olufashinu, part of it is natural talent and his his physical build and all that stuff. The other is the work ethic and the seriousness with which he takes everything. So again, it's one thing when a guy who's played one game, if if he tries to be the leader, that may not work. But when he's showing up on everybody's draft board and everybody in that room is looking at him, that's a whole different story. You don't have to be the most outspoken guy. You've done it through your actions. And if you develop as more of a vocal leader, great. But he's done it by example. Speaking of the draft board, things have a chance to get pretty exciting come this time next year with the 2024 draft class. You can go down the list, use your imagination. There's a lot of guys on this Penn State roster three years in or beyond now that could tantalize NFL scouts next year. But one guy who's already kind of thrown his hat in the ring and feels like he's going to be warranting that uh, attention next year is Kalen King. I don't blame him. I saw Pro Football Focus said if every single player – in college football right now, was available to be drafted. Here's our first-round mock. Joey Porter Jr. was not on it. Kalen King was on it, guy who just led uh, Power 5 football and pass breakups, guy, guy who I think is a very, very good open-field tackler and someone who plucked his third interception of the season acrobatically against Utah on the Rose Bowl. Mark, you were there with Kalen King. He's a guy that uh, doesn't raise his voice all that much, but you pay attention when he listens. And James Franklin's been talking about him since he showed up to campus in January of 2021. Yeah, he. I asked him about Joey Porter Jr. or somebody did. I forget if it was me or somebody else. But um, it, he, 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 being the first uh, first round, the first Penn State defensive back to be taken in the first round, which is mind blowing. I mean, I still yeah. can't believe that that hasn't happened yet. And it looks defensive like back, like yeah, not yeah. just one or the other. Defensive back. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just absolutely crazy to think of all the great DBs they've had. Mark Robinson. I mean. I mean, uh, Justin King was really good. I mean, for for the players that have had Michael Zordich, the younger, was a guy who played in the league for a long time. Uh, I mean, just for all the guys that they've had, for nobody ever. Been for, but anyway, asking Joey Porter or asking Kalen King about Joey Porter Jr. and how much it means to him to see somebody getting that opportunity, he just matter of factly was like, "Yeah, it's good to see him going through it." And I'm paraphrasing, and you know, I, I'm going to be there next year. So, and I was like, "Whoa, that's a pretty bold statement." And he's he's like, "Well, yeah, that's the confidence that you have to have." And listen, I would say I would put the question to you guys right now, uh, my beloved Eagles, if they needed a cornerback and you had the choice between Joey Porter Jr. and Kalen King. Who would you take? And I'm telling you, this is no offense to Joey Porter Jr. because he has all these measurables uh, at the NFL level. But I think Kalen King is more of a surefire NFL going to be legit in the NFL. And that's not to say that Joey Porter Jr. isn't. I just think he's been tested more. He's been more consistent. And if again, if it were my team drafting, and this isn't going to happen because they're going to be in different drafts, but I think a lot of people would be on my side. I don't know if you guys would, but I think a lot of people would look at it that way. 
I mean, I think given that we've only seen him for two years and when Joey's been on, was on campus for four years, I have a hard time not going with Kalen King. If, you know, if you're putting two on the table, ideally you can have both. And, and Manny Diaz did last year and it worked out pretty well for yeah. this defense. Uh, but I, I think with Porter, because of, of how special he is with those go-go gadget arms and his length and that, and that radius, he has a chance to maybe neutralize some weapons in the NFL that a lot of defenses are going to struggle to contend with maybe at that tight end position as well. He just has a chance to really create some matchup issues. The wide receivers are getting bigger, more athletic. So are the cornerbacks. He's a prime example. But if you're talking about trying to find the best 11 defenders to go out there and, and put together a game, uh, you know, Kalen King to me is a more complete defender. Uh, and, and we'll find out next year. Look, he, he's going to be the number one cornerback on everyone's board when they go through and they get ready. I think both of these guys are first round talents. I think both of them are going to play a long time in the NFL. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I'd probably go Kalen King. Um, and, and that says a lot because I think so very highly of Joey Porter Jr. But the more I you know, consider the question, I think I, I do land there. Well, Daniel, Joey, ha have... Joey has the super high ceiling, like the super duper duper high ceiling, a guy who, who could somehow with all of his uh, with his physical, just the way he's built, could develop into something unbelievable. But I'm just yeah. saying if you're investing that, I think the more surefire thing. So yeah, I mean both of them are great, and I'm the the good thing is once Joey Porter's out, I'm allowed to be out of Penn State. I'm allowed to be a Joey Porter fan, and I was a fan of his coming into Penn State just because of everything that he kind of stands for and what he's gone through with his family and, and all of those different things. Uh, so it's going to be fun, but it's one of those fun questions to kick around. That if you were a GM, who would you take? So Daniel, you covered the NFL for a couple of years. You 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 you've got a good lay of the land at the next level. What's your answer here? I, I think if I had like the number ten pick tomorrow, I would pick Joey Porter Jr. But if I was rolling out into the Big Ten title game against Ohio State uh, in December, I might go with Kalen King. Um, mm. I think that when the season ended, I, I mean, I think Kalen King had a better season than Joey Porter Jr. I mean, I think about that uh, that Purdue game uh, in week one, and I came away from that game you know, just you know, gobsmacked with how good Kalen King was. You know, Part of it was that they didn't even really try to test him, but when they did, he was up to it every time. I mean, I didn't really get you know the six pass breakups and that fumble recovery I thought were you know really great for Joey Porter. But you know, when I was at the airport the next day, I was mostly thinking about you know what Kalen King did, how he looked, um, and I thought that you know, Kalen King really, you know, looks the part um, of, you know, a very high floor player. Um, but I think when you're talking about, you know, going into the NFL, I think that ceiling is is what you want. Um, you know, the having the a reliable or maybe close to a sure thing, you know, that that's nice. But I think when you have the opportunity to add someone with those physical tools uh, that Joey Porter Jr. has for the NFL, um, I mean, I think you do it really. I think you can think twice about it, but I think you do ultimately end up, uh, you know, picking Porter. But I think that Kalen King is in for a, a really big year. Um, I, you know, I thought it was nice. I thought it was really nice for him that he ended up on, I believe it was the Walter Camp All America team. Uh, you know, he did get some national recognition. You know, I think that going into next year, I think that his name is definitely going to be, you know, on the radar. You know, Joey Porter Jr.'s name was really out there because of what a pro prospect he was. I think that that was really why he was such a, you know, bigger name coming in. Also, his name is Joey Porter, which 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 doesn't hurt in that respect. But I think that Kalen King has the chance to come into next year as a, you know, very highly regarded player. And, you know, I think for all intents and purposes, I mean, I think that he's really well positioned to deliver on that. 
It would be quite the development if after the program history doesn't produce a single defensive back in the first round, if they do go back to back like Kalen King forecast. And tell you what, you start to, to get the lay of the land in that room right now with the upcoming safeties, the rising cornerbacks. Uh, you might see a streak developing for Terry Smith, Anthony Poindexter in the backfield there. Uh, they've got a lot of good things brewing, including the fact that, according to Kalen King, Storm Duck, uh, second team all ACC player uh, for North Carolina last year, has adjusted seamlessly, really fit in well. Uh, he was one of the performers of, of, of early workouts picked by Terry Smith. And uh, a lot of nice things to say uh, about him did Kalen King. Am we missing anything before we turn the page to basketball? It was a busy day there on Saturday. I know we're still kind of working our way through some of the coverage and content up at the site. Anything that we, we want to throw on the table before we move on? Yeah, I would say that in in si- sizing up the, uh, the the recent arrivals, the January arrivals, yeah. those offensive linemen, I think all kind of fit the bill. Uh, you know, sometimes guys come in and they're either really, you know, light or really heavy. And, you know, you look at Birchmeyer, uh, Williams, and Donka, and and these guys are all put together. They were all obviously in legit uh, weight programs. I don't think the kind of program that they're in right now, but these guys all passed the eyeball all, eyeball test. And then I can't go by without mentioning Mega Barnwell. And yes. if you just see the photo of him next to those offensive linemen, I mean, he's either going to be the the biggest tight end in the history of tight ends, or he's going to develop into an O lineman. I don't know what's going to happen, but he is a large human being. Uh, so, and who else did? Let me see if there's somebody else who. I, I mean, I think I think we can set up Daniel here, Davon Townley, because I think all three of us were like, "Whoa, Davon Townley is not the young man who showed up here a couple of years ago." Who, by the way, I think he was about 220 pounds at enrollment, a basketball convert. Daniel, you wrote about him, so you can take this one. Yeah, I think we have to give a hat tip to Drew Shelton uh, for, you know, kind of kicking this off for us where uh, two weeks ago when we had the you know uh, freshman availability, Drew Shelton was asked, you know, who has, had given him trouble or who, you know, who it was good to go up against in practice. And he said, you know, obviously everyone knows denied on a Sutton. Uh, but then he mentioned Davon Townley as someone who, you know, gave him some fits. Uh, you know, he said he had a really good bull rush, you know, good hands was good off the edge. Uh, and so we were able to follow up, or Tyler was able to follow up with Devana Lees about, you know, what it's like to have a player enter the transfer portal, come back, make that switch. Uh, it's a lot of things happening at once. And, you know, by by all accounts, Davon Townley is is really taking to this well and, you know, has the chance to, you know, to be something uh, in the middle. You know, given what he has to do physically, I think we'll have to wait and see until probably August before we know whether or not that'll be in 2023 uh, or beyond, but I think that that is, you know, I think that could turn into a, a really big transfer portal win for Penn State when we look back on this offseason. Yeah, one other guy, think, Tamir yeah. Robinson, I mean, yes. at, at linebacker, I mean, he, I think he played defensive end, or I don't know exactly where he was playing, uh, but some people projected him as a defensive end, but he definitely passes the eyeball test. Penn State has him listed at 6'3", 230. And I would say he's at least 230, and it doesn't look – it's good weight. So uh, he's a guy, another one of those. And I'm, I'm sure we're missing people, but if we sat here and went through everybody, the, the show would take six hours. So, 
And we have a website that's fully functional 24-7. In fact, oh, that's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> 24-7. So check that out. We're always conversing on the message boards, and, and, uh, and there's a lot to talk about. There will be a ton of new roster information to glean next week. We're expecting to get a peek at winter workouts as they conclude, uh, at least some feedback from winter workouts. And then getting the spring ball, uh, we're going to have a lot more opportunities to speak with players, get out there and see some stuff. So uh, over at lines247.com, always a good spot. Guys, I hate to shortchange basketball, uh, but they're not quite fully back on the bubble. So I don't feel all that bad, but how close are they? I mean, Daniel, we, we got five minutes here. Start us off by saying a two win, two game win streak is a nice start. What does it really do to put a dent in their hopes? Uh, the, Joe Lenardi has them back into the next four out. Um, so they're in that, you know, uh, 76 state. No, I, my math is bad, but they're in that, that second <laughs> range. Uh, you know, I think that they are sort of back on the bubble, um, they just can't really afford to have any any missteps. They've got four games left. They're playing an Ohio State team on uh, Thursday night that's lost 13 of 14 um, and hasn't really looked competitive at times. Um, but the computers and advanced stats still like Ohio State for now. Um, but that's one that you really just can't afford to lose because, you know, after that, you've got a Rutgers team that really took it to you uh, in Piscataway uh, about a month ago. You have to go to Northwestern to face the second place team in the Big Ten that has been, you know, I guess, one of the more quieter surprises nationally. And then you finish up with a Maryland team that, um, you know, you saw we've seen what they are at home you know, with that upset over Purdue was really, really impressive. Um, but they're a completely different team uh, when they're away from Xfinity Center, like we saw uh, at Nebraska. But um, I'll steer here. I'll steer the conversation here. I think that these next four games, it's as Jalen Pickett goes, uh, this team, this team will go. Um, I think that according to Penn state, he had a clean sweep of all the national honors uh, after what he did last week, 41 against Illinois, 32 against Minnesota, uh, two wins. You know, that's someone who is playing his best basketball at the biggest moment this season. Mark Brennan, a few years back, you were on this very podcast singing the praises of Lamar Stevens and Penn state was trying to make their push for an NCAA tournament. Then the world came crashing down on all of this. But where is he in Jalen Pickett? It's it's an abbreviated Penn State career, but you've seen a lot of Penn State basketball. Where is he in that conversation now? Yeah, he's playing as well as anybody I've ever seen. I mean, as well as anybody I've ever seen. Now, I, having said that, I don't quite go back to Jesse Arnell. I don't <laughs> quite go back back to the, the, the mid-50s. But, yeah, I mean, he's doing it at a level, and Daniel can attest to this. He's actually raised the level of his play in Big Ten against Big Ten competition, which is very, very difficult to do. Uh, and what is that telling you? That's telling you that when the when the opponents are more difficult and Penn State needs more from him, he's giving Penn State more. When they come off of a four-game losing streak, their backs are against a proverbial wall. If they win, they lose one that if they lose to Illinois, their 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 NCAA tournament hopes are done. They're faint now. They still have work to do, uh, but they would not even be there. So what does he do? He comes up in the next two games and, and scores a total of over 70 and and drags Penn State right back into it. But I think Micah Shrewsbury had a very good point earlier this week. And I said, What would your case be for Jalen Pickett being an all-American? And he went through all of the things that that make Jalen Pickett so special. But then he said, it is now on the coaching staff and the other players. He's gotten them to this spot. It's on the coaching staff and the players to close this thing out strong. 
because for him to be an All-American, they are going to have to have a positive finish. That's just the way it is. I mean, people don't look at sub-500 teams in the Big Ten and think that guy's an All-American. So they got to make that push. Now, could he get there? Yes, he could get there. But And I think the other good thing, circling back to the big picture outside of, uh, outside of just Pickett, you look at the four games they have remaining at Ohio State, Rutgers at Northwestern, and the Maryland at home. As of now or as of last night, they, those all qualified as net quad one wins. So you still have quality opponents. Even though Ohio State's stinking it up, they're still sitting there at 64 in Jerry Palm. I didn't see what they are in the net, but I think it's right in that same area. You have quality wins available. So you win three of those, and I think you give your, yourself a chance. You win two. The issue is going to be if you only win two, you're probably going to be in a, a, the first-round games at uh, in Chicago. And if you end up matched up with, say, a, a Minnesota, that could be just a strength-of-schedule killer. So – there's a lot on the line, but long story short, I think if they win three of these last four, they're going to be in a really good uh, spot with winning one or two at Big Tens to, to, to kind of fight their way into that tournament. Whatever happens here in the next four games, uh, these guys will have you covered over at lines247.com. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon, both will have their predictions up for this upcoming Ohio State matchup up on the site here before that one tips off. Fellas, always appreciate the hoops perspective. Always love talking football with you here on the podcast. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tyler. See ya. All right. See ya. Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon over at lines247.com. Uh, Nick Tarburton back home in Bucks County getting ready for the NFL draft. Thanks to all of them for joining me, Tyler Donahue, on this latest episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're back with another episode later this week. In the meantime, wishing you all well. Take Spring training is in full swing and fantasy baseball draft season is upon us. That means you need to join us on Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every Monday through Saturday for six pods per week throughout the month of March. We'll break down the latest news, spring training updates, players to target, and much more in just five minutes. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.